Inescapably foreign. Welcome to Without Borders, the podcast for immigrants, nomads, for anyone else that feels inescapably foreign. Today I'm here with Nick Sonat again. I uh, got lucky enough that he wanted to be on the show again. And uh, if you didn't hear the last episode, that's episode two. So I highly recommend you check that one out. Um, and if you want to follow Nick, go to Nick Sonat Travel on um, Instagram. When I asked Nick how I should prepare for this interview, he just gave me some point form notes. He said, backpacking alone, weed industry in Cali 20 years ago, Sri Lankan ISIS recruitment center. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a funky one. That's for sure. <laughs> all right. Well, before we get into that, I'm going to get, I'm going to let Nick do all the explaining here, but I know that there's a lot of Islamophobia. So before we get into the ISIS story, I want to make sure that we don't contribute to Islamophobia whatsoever. First of all, the Quran. Uh, well, hey, I'm not religious. I, you know, I read the God Delusion when I was 12 years old. Um, but I have a lot of respect for the Muslim culture, right? Um, in the Quran, they teach to always seek truth, be kind to promote justice, avoid idle talk and gossip. Stay away from jealousy and avoid anger, right? Does not sound like, does not sound like ISIS. But Nick, <laughs> how did you end up in the ISIS recruitment center? Well, I mean, this, what an answer, right? Uh, I'm, I'm not religious either, but I wasn't looking for it. That's, that's definitely one thing. Back, back then I used to look for it. Now I don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm less stupid than I was when I was much younger. Um, I think the, the first thing I need to say here is that, you know, I was lucky enough to go to 103 countries in the last 16 years. Sri Lanka is definitely the top five of my favorite country in the world. I love Sri Lanka, right? It's, it's a great place. It's probably one of the capital of solo traveling. Uh, I've never seen that many women travel by themselves in one country. It's extremely safe. There's so many options. I'm not trying to dish, uh, Sri Lanka cause I, you know, when I wrote about this in the past and I, I published a few things, some people got really offended. It's not the case. That's not what I'm trying to do here. I love the country. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's getting there start with a lot more of a nice story. You know, I, I was backpacking alone back in the days, traveling. And, you know, anyone that traveled and backpack alone in countries like that know that you're never really alone. Right. You always end up with people. It's It's what we do. Right. Nick, sorry, just gotta stop you for one second, just because I think your mic is rubbing against your shirt. We tested it out earlier, but um, it seems to be doing a little bit of rubbing. Is it possible to move a bit, or? Oh, let me let me hold it. Maybe it's gonna help. Yeah, Definitely. okay. Yeah, let's try it. All right, All right. thanks, Matt. <laughs> no worries. That's the thing about these uh, online recordings, right? Like uh, we try to make the studio as professional as possible, but. It, there's a certain limitations. Well, I'm in a hotel at SeaWorld, so that's another story. But <laughs> we can touch on that a little later. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so, you know, I was traveling and, um, you know, uh, for a month traveling with two uh, two girls from uh, the Netherlands. And it was really, really, really fun. And um, the first thing you need to know about Sri Lanka is that the entire country is really fun. You can have a drink everywhere. There's, there's, there's a great, you know, night scene. Except in the capital. In the capital, there's nothing going on. So, you know, we, we've been traveling for a month, 
and we're in Colombo and we have no idea what to do. And we're just like, you know, we want to go for a drink and we're at the hostel and we're just like, we want to go for a drink. Is there any place? And they're like, yeah, there's no place to go for a drink on a Monday night in Colombo uh, randomly, you know? So they end up telling us to go to the casino. <laughs> so we go to the casino uh, and we start playing and... um Literally, I think I spent twenty dollars, you know. But he started treating us like we were the greatest people in the world, giving us free champagne and free drinks and everything. And the two girls are playing the game like they're behind me and they're pretending that they're with me, and it's 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 getting really funny. And I end up winning a blackjack like a hundred dollars, like nothing great. But then they're looking at me and they're like, "Mr. Sinat, what do you want? Do you need anything?" And they're, we're like, oh, well, it's a Monday night. We would have loved to dance and we would have loved to go out, but it's nothing we can do. And they're like, no, definitely, we can help you. So they gave us a limo and we're just in the limo and we're just going across town with the driver. And everywhere we stop, the driver say, stay the, stay the car. And he goes out and he goes check the club and he's like, yeah, that's not good or that's good. <laughs> and uh, he does that for like three, four stops. And then he gets us under like a parking mall looks very sketchy but he's like yeah this is okay so he's like hey come on get out and the girls start getting out they're like no no you guys stay there he's gonna check it out if he likes it we're gonna come back so i go in and i'm like this is this is not this is a little weird but it's gonna do and uh, so we get in we get in the club and the first the first red flag is half the club is sri lankan woman dancing and if there's one thing that you don't see in sri lanka is the local woman in clubs or partying or anything like that. I've never seen that. I've been shrank a bunch of times, never seen it. Um, but we're like, okay, whatever. So we're there. Uh, the second red flag is that the beer that they're selling is Coronas. And uh, the you don't see Coronas. It's like the only beer you see is Lions. Um, but yeah, we're there, like, whatever. Um, so we start drinking. And at one point, there's a guy that says, yeah, come drink in my boot. It's actually the owner. So we're in the boot. He's giving us free drinks. Uh, the girls are dancing. Everything is fine. Until the moment that I go to the bathroom. And then I come back. And then one of the girls looks like really stressed. And, but she, I, I'm having fun. So I'm not checking my phone. I'm doing my things. And um, <laughs> at one point, uh, one point uh, one of the girls was with the owner go dancing and then she's like look at your phone dick and she's like we're in the ISIS recruitment center we need to get a fuck out of here and I'm like ISIS, ISIS recruitment centers have coronas and I'm like what What the heck are you talking about we're drinking and like whatever uh, it makes no sense like you know uh, uh, and she's like well you'll see and then at one point the, the, the owner of the place comes back and he's like yeah, well, it, we don't see a lot of white people here, you know. It's great to see that you guys are supporting the cause and you're not judging us. And I'm like, what the heck? And I'm like, what's going on here? So, you know, the the long story short is, like, we stick around and start talking about very extreme shit. And at one point, he just goes to the bathroom and we just got the fuck out of there. <laughs> we just ran away and we left. But it's it, it, was, it was just a weird situation, right? <laughs> really weird. What was some of the shit you guys talked about? I, I mean, he was talking about Yemen. He was talking about, you know, what's going on in the, what's going on with like some of the things in Ethiopia, you know, <laughs> some of the stuff in Western Africa, um, you know, just moral, moral grounds, you know. Um, I, I, w- 
I was getting myself in trouble too because I was asking him a question about Dick. You know, are you, you know, you Muslim? Yeah, but you're drinking. And he was like, yeah, you know, <laughs> we all weren't. Nobody's perfect. And I'm. It was just make it made no sense. You know, like it just didn't add up. You know, you you're supposed to be that extreme religious person, but you don't follow the basic rule of that religion, right? <laughs> so. Yeah, I got of like points out all the hypocrisies also compared to what I read earlier, right? Like in the Quran, it's it points out the ways to live. And then these guys are just doing the complete opposite in some ways, right? They're saying that they're following the most strict rules, but they're not. They're just picking and choosing and doing what they want for their movement. Yeah, I, I mean, he was telling me stories about the fact that, you know, this type of activities was helping, you know, raise money towards the cause and stuff like that. But then again, you know, we were the only foreigners in that thing, you know? Oh, sure. Did you, did you buy a Corona? Oh, yeah. I bought a bunch of Coronas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So you um, unwittingly... Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. You. 100 percent and you know like on the dance floor you got you, you had those ladies with the uh like a bunch of bracelets and like you know uh they, they just walk around and like you know they put the bracelet on your arm and like the, the girls always went work we thought it was really really funny at the beginning so they kept like getting more and more and more and more but like it just it just it just became very sketchy very quickly um but yeah. Do you think almost everyone there was part of the movement? Because in Sri Lanka, the, the majority of people are Buddhist, right? That's the yeah. the main religion there. Um, and then I also just has talked about these women dancing around and everything. Um, doesn't sound very uh, extremist or... I, I can send you pictures. Like I, 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 I took pictures that night, you know, and the girl didn't look at all like they were Muslim girls at all. Like, you know, there was... It 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 make absolutely no chat. So, you know, there, there there's two options there. Maybe they just created a story. They went and scare a bunch of uh, of foreigners, which I don't think so. You know, I have our own, and I, um, or they just don't really give a shit about anything. And that's also a possibility, you know. And you wrote um, about this in the Lonely Planet. I did, I did. Yeah, I wrote about this. Uh, you know, and it, I go more in depth into you know, really the feeling and the steps and what happened and I have photos and I show people what it looked like, you know, but, um, you know, the, if people would have told me, yeah, that looked like, you know, <laughs> a bordel or that looked like a place where you just, you know, you buy, you buy a girl for a night and you try to please yourself a little bit, I would have believed it right away because, you know, like it does look like that. Uh, it's just, it's just really funny that, you know, at the time I was 29 years old, you know, you got a 29 years old writer, a doctor, and a nurse from the Netherlands that look like the most naive person in the world end up in a place like that. You know, like we <laughs> we obviously, you know, got a little comfortable in, in Sri Lanka at that point, and we just didn't believe that there was anything like that happening anymore. But yeah, the bottom line is that there's still today a lot of shit happening in Colombo. You know, there's still a lot of unrest. They were, you know, they had a really tough year with, you know, inflation and COVID and, and and there was still a lot of unrest. If there's a place where something would happen in, in Sri Lanka that would probably be around the capital or the north, um, which, you know, are the, the more Muslim area of, uh, of of the country, unfortunately. And I'm saying that I love, like, you know, I love Muslim countries. I, I spent a lot of time in the Middle East. I spent a lot of time in Northern Africa. 
I'm not trying to hate on Muslim. I'm just saying, fortunately, uh, the, the, there's a little bit of unrest. Yeah, well, that's why I wanted to differentiate at the beginning, right? I mean, I mean, it's true. A lot of listeners already know the differences, but just making sure that there's a big difference between Muslim culture and uh, ISIS. <laughs> and, but apparently there's not a big difference between uh, our nightclub and an, ISIS, and an ISIS recruitment center. Holy shit. You know, uh, I I also believe that everywhere where you got like those cells, and you, you see this in North, Northern America a lot. You go to, you know, you go to some part of Canada, some part of, of the U.S. with motorcycle clubs. Right, you got the motorcycle clubs that are really, really intense, and then you got a bunch of wannabes beside them that pretend that they are part of it, or they they just supporting it, and then they don't respect half the rules that those motorcycle clubs have. Right? So yeah. was that was that just you know a cell of wannabe guys that just wanted to pretend that, or they were supporting the cause or whatever? You know, with the unrest in the country, the fact that the country is going through a really, really bad financial patch. That's totally do like possible that you know it wasn't really ISIS and it was a recruitment center. It was just some people that thought it was you know a good movement in general, for, or part of it was a good movement, and they wanted to support them. You know that's that's also that might be the case. Um, yeah, but then again, it's a beautiful country, guys. Really, really beautiful country. But uh, I used to love getting in trouble, and I used to have a natch for finding it. So <laughs> that's that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, what what other kind of ways do you like to get into trouble, Nick? I <laughs> so when I when I was really much younger in two thousand five, I wrote an article, and uh, that was my big break as as a travel writer. I wrote an article about the weed industry in California. Um, you know, back in the days two thousand four, two thousand five, two thousand six. You literally could buy weed anywhere in, you know, in LA. That was the, or San Francisco. That was the easiest thing in the world. You know, you, you go see one of those, you know, weed doctor, you give him $40, it gives you a weed card, and then you call the number. And uh, I was, I was na a naive little Canadian at the time, you know, I never seen something like that. So we obviously did it because it was just a fun thing to do. And I'm not a big smoker myself. I'm not like, don't love it. But... Wait, just, just to um, just to double check here, where did you already visit the west coast of Canada at this point, or were you coming from the east coast? Uh, I visited the uh, I visited the west coast at that time, but I never seen something as organized. You know? Okay. You know, obviously Vancouver always had like a big weed culture. Like, don't get me wrong, but there there was a full system. You know, <laughs> there was like, everything was organized. Like it, it, it just, it shocked me all. Everything had like steps to follow. Whereas, you know, in Vancouver, you, you go, you go walk around downtown Vancouver back or gas town back in the days. And, you know, you just go to the shops and you get it. Right. You're saying we knock on the metal door. The, yeah, exactly. The metal door there on yeah. things. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it still had a shady way to do it. Whereas, you know, the, uh, the, the 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 California way back in the days was so so organized. You know, you go to the doctor, gives you a weed card, you pretend that you're anxious or whatever. Uh, it took three minutes. Benny's speech was full of those guys, and then you know, literally, you got you call a guy online. He shows up to your house with forty bags of weed that are all different, and he has a he has he had a loyalty fucking card. Like he had a loyalty card where if you were ordering like seven times in a row he was giving you a free bag and and the guy if you were giving him a phone number of someone you know that wanted to he was giving you a free fucking brownie you know like 
And I I wrote some. I took I literally took pictures of the table and I I wrote about this and he got me so much fucking shit. You know, it was great for my my career and it was great for writing. But then I had the fucking U.S. government on my ass and I had a bunch of things. I went a little a little too far. And everyone fucking knew about it. Just people were not stupid enough to write about it. And I was. <laughs> oh, where did it get published? Or did they have to take it down after? It, yeah, it, it got published in old planet. I, I, I published it on my personal blog first and foremost. Um, and I used to um, I used to have a, a partnership with a group called travelblog.org uh, at the time. So they published it too. And, you know, I was, and then I think also World published it at some point. Uh, I sold the story to a few people, uh, and finally, at the very, very end, I published it into the New York Times. This is where I got a lot, a lot, a lot of problems. Uh, but keep in mind, like, that was 2005, I think. You know, Facebook was just starting, you know? Like, we, we didn't have access to social media like this. You know, you you could play it dumb a lot more than you can today. Like, you could pretend and be in your bubble and be like, that doesn't exist. You know, so when you have people like me writing about that type of crap, you just put it back in the face of everyone else that didn't believe in it or that were try, trying to hide the fact that you knew that was something going on, right? And mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong about this, you know, like this. Like, today we laugh it off, and nobody here, like, if you got people in their 20s, they're all going to believe that it's uh, it's it's a non, it's, there's no story of what I'm saying right now. But back in the days, you know, that was a thing. You know, that was really a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and when you got in shit, how, what did you have to do to counter that? Well, I had to somehow try to prove that I wasn't taking weed. I was just reporting it. Right. Uh, so, you know, taking weed, that also sounds, that's pretty old school too. (laughs) Yeah. You know, exactly. You know, I would do the marijuana. I don't know if I do the marijuana. I don't do the marijuana that much anymore. You know, I'm, <laughs> I, I I do I do alcohol though. Everyone that knows me knows I love my beers, but um, <laughs> I do a lot of work. It's been a rough night yesterday, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's uh, it, it, luckily enough at that time I didn't even have a fucking cell phone. You know, <laughs> it's uh, it was. Uh, it, it was it was all pretty good, but you know, just you know, people knocking on the door, and I, I, you know, my parents got a phone call back in Canada, and my mom starts stressing, and you know, I I left my parents' place when I was seventeen years old to go backpack, right? But it's uh, my parents didn't get that much news when I was much younger because you know I didn't even carry a computer. I used to write article in fucking internet cafes, you know, so uh, I was pretty hard to to get in touch with. And then, you know, you got your mom that just get random news for the first time in three weeks. And she's like, this is the U.S. <laughs> the U.S. He's looking for your son. <laughs> you know, uh, that kind of stuff. And it was like, you know, just it was funny. But it's at the time it was like, OK, I, I don't want to get banned from the U.S. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, this entire this weed conversation <laughs> into culture. Uh, where do you think the best weed culture is in the world or from all the places you've traveled? I think it's in Canada. I think it's in BC. I think that we have the more healthy one. Um, it's It's been it's been forever. Um, I believe in sustainability quite a bit. Um, you know, uh, there's there's something about, there's something to be said that the weed is consumed where, where it's grown. You know, BC weed is well famous and it's it's a great industry. You know, there's, there's a time in the, 
early 2000 where 60% of the weed in Amsterdam was actually coming from BC. You know, like mm-hmm. the, it's it's crazy to think that, you know, there's so much land in Northern Canada to grow it. There's a perfect temperature in BC to grow it. Um, it makes it makes a lot of sense. Uh, so I think the culture is very deep. You know, you got, you go, you go to, there's one thing about Canada right now is you, you know, transport and airports and we don't go well together. Except in Vancouver, where there's actually, you know, you got those smoking huts, but you also have a weed smoking hut at the airport. You know, you wouldn't see that in Toronto, you know, it's, uh, but that's pretty pretty neat. Uh, You have a long flight and you don't, you can't afford business class like me. The best thing to do is just have some candies, especially CBD. (laughs) That doesn't even get you high, but the CBD, you just melt right into economy class and you feel like you're in a business class (laughs) or way less expensive. I, look, like the the bottom line for me is that you 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 got to you know you got to know what's good for you and what works for you, what doesn't work for you. You know, uh, some stuff is great. You know, uh, and I, I don't want to try to move that conversation to hard drugs and all that stuff. But you know, some people can do it really well. Some people they have the tiniest bit and they want to you know they they go crazy. You know, uh, the problem with regulating those 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 drugs and everything else is that you have to trust your people. And for some countries and some government, they, they just can't allow that. I, I think that's what we're doing very great in Canada is that, you know, first of all, we, we trust our people. And we know that most people are going to be able to do it. You know, the money that get collected through it goes to prevention, which is making total sense. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of tax money, so it, 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 it can help a lot of people. Um, and then also we, we got a 38 million people population. So, you know, we, it's not like trying to establish something in Bangladesh with 200, 200 million people. You know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm more concerned if we're going to talk about weed, about Thailand that just legalized pretty much everything you can think of. Uh, but the reality is that, you know, you could easily find everything in Thailand to start with. Um, um, so, and then there, they decriminalize a bunch of other art drugs too. Uh, like Portugal, then they did, but you know, there, there's a massive difference between Portugal and and uh, and, and Thailand. In Thailand, like the, the biggest problems with all this, and I, I'm going to sound like very old right now, which I'm not. Uh, but you know, it's all about knowing where the source is. You know, <laughs> it's uh, you can trust the system in Europe. You can trust the system in Canada. You know, the wheat that you're buying is coming from one place. You know, you can trace it to a certain extent. Um, it's not the case in Thailand. It's it's definitely not the case in Thailand. Anyone that did you know <laughs> any trip there or went to party in the in, yeah, or went to party, um, you know, on one of the islands, know that taking drugs there is basically a <laughs> a call to lose all your shit and probably end up in a situation you don't want to do. So mm. you know, and I'm again, I did all kind of stupid things when I was a backpacker, right? And I'm still doing a lot of stupid things. I'm not saying don't do stupid things; they're fun. But, you know, they went from life in prison or 15 years in jail uh, to we're legalizing everything in a year. You know, it's it makes no sense. Yeah, the, the steps, you know. Do you think there's a lot of corruption going on then? No, I think that they're trying to make their money back from COVID. Uh, if, there's, if there's a place in the world that got affected by COVID, it's Thailand. You know, they, they rely on tourism, they rely on, you know, uh, investment from China, from other countries around into, you know, the, the tourism 
industry and they went blank for three years and they need the money to come back. And you know, what, what, what's better than coast on road with weed stand, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you had to, I used to add to eat for, to, to, you know, you, you know, like, like those whippets or, um, the balloons, you know, yeah, I remember those in Vietnam. No, yeah. I think <laughs> I, I love them. <laughs> I love them. It's a six, seven second buzz. And it's great. I love them. But you used to have to hide behind the court then to get them at the end, you know, because like people were trying to crack on them and now you can buy weed. So like he, he went, he went full 360 in a year, you know, <laughs> but here's some like the dangers in Thailand is that sometimes you don't know what you're getting. You don't know what the source is. So you pop a pill and then you wake up and all your shit's gone. Exactly. Um, but now that it's legalized, won't that give the opportunity to clean it up because you can go get your drugs checked? Like, you know, just using as some raves, in, for example, like Shambhala in um, BC. In, right? Yeah. It's a rave. Not all drugs are legal in BC, but in Shambhala at that moment, everything is permitted aside from alcohol. And you can go bring your drugs to the station and they'll test it to be like, okay, this is actually MDMA. This is actually LSD, right? Um, so that you're not waking up <laughs> with all your shit missing. You don't think that they're going to do that? I think that's a massive step for them to get there. Um, you know, and I understand what you're saying. I've been to Burning Man. I've been to Africa Burn. You know, like it's 100%. I agree with you. I, if it was me, everything would be legal. Legal, Like, you know, I, my personality loved that. But if I take a step back and I'm like, hey, is it actually good? I think they're going too fast. I think that the system, the system is going to have to catch up. And you also have to understand who's the typical traveler to 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 to, to Thailand. You know who's going to Bangkok, right? Mm-hmm. And there's there's three type of people that go to Bangkok. You know, in general, and those are cliches. And I I know I'm pissing off people by saying that, but there's a lot of very young backpackers that came from Australia, that came from the UK. And there's a lot of older Americans that are giving their chance at love for the last time. And I'm being polite here. Aussies, lads, and deforces. Yeah. You know? So, um, it was already pretty extreme for a lot of people. And don't get me wrong. Like, you know, I, I, I've been to, I've been to Thailand when I was just out of a relationship. And I think I was drunk and I didn't use my bed for three weeks straight. You know, just slept <laughs> in the living room of the hostel. So, I, 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 I used to be one of them. I pre-sold one of them in a lot of cases. I'm just glad that when I was on that trip, you know, not everything was legal in my face all the time because I would have probably, you know, did a lot more mistakes. So, you know, I, I just don't think the system is ready for that much stuff happening in, in one in one shot, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, Nick, so you've been to Burning Man. And what was the other one? The one in South Africa, right? Bird and... Africa Bird. Yeah. Africa Bird. Yeah. Um. So there's a whole subculture within that, right? Yeah. So can you explain maybe some of the differences between those subcultures when you go to Burning Man in the States versus Burning Man in South Africa? <laughs> it, this is a funny question because I'm working with Burning the Burning Man project right now. For Sorry, Nick, can you just hold the mic a little bit? Because it's uh, just clicking a bit. Yeah. You got it better now? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So I'm, I, it's it's a really funky question because I'm working with a Burning Man project right now, you know, uh, the actual business that runs it. Uh, Give me a ticket? Probably. Uh, I thought about that also, probably. Okay. Uh, it's your episode. Yeah. 
it's, it's not what it is. It's not what it used to be. You know, there's definitely a corporate version of it now. And, mm -hmm. and, and they're asked to be a little bit. So you, you see, Burning Man used to be all about art, right? It's you used to be public art and a movement and a big subculture. That's still part of it. But they're, uh, they're really moving towards, instead of doing 15 different things, they're trying to be one thing, you know? So there's more and more music happening in Burning Man. There's all, it, it's, it's getting closer to something a little bit more traditional. Um, okay. except it's in the middle of the desert. Um, what you see at Shambhala or you see at Africa Burn is a lot closer to the, the, the original culture of Burning Man, what it used to be at the beginning. You know, a bunch of people that show up with a few things and then they have to spend the week trading things around to get all the supply they need. Uh, a big community that really share a moment together, uh, that's open-minded, uh, you know, subculture getting together. Uh, it's always a great thing because it makes the world better. Uh, that's, that's the one-on-one -on -one of traveling. If you're traveling, honestly, you're traveling to meet people that doesn't believe in the same thing that you believe in. And the idea is not to believe in what they believe. The idea is to understand why they believe in it so you can be more tolerant, right? That's, that's what traveling is. So Africa Burn and Burning Man are great for this because they push you. I mean, there's there's an orgy tent at Burning Man, you know, like I know, <laughs> you know, but, uh, it's uh, and but then again, you go to Berlin, you go to Kit Kat, and this, you know, everyone's naked, and there's a pool in the middle, you know, and it's it's the same thing, and I'm 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 all for it, you know, it's uh, uh it's getting inclusive in life is is why I travel, you know, this is why it's so important for me to travel with my son, you know, it's getting him access to uh, things that normally and he wouldn't see although I hope that he's gonna be a better person for that, you know? So I think I think that's the idea. Like I know I'm not answering your question, but you know, it's I'm curious to see where Burning Man Burning Man is going. You know? Okay. And because uh, I've heard some mixed reviews about Burning Man, like they're supposed to um leave zero waste behind, right? And then I've <laughs> seen some videos where they don't. Um, do you think they're improving on that or? I think they do a lot of things that people don't know, you know, Burning Man has 14 ranch in, uh, in, in the U S uh, there's a few in Northern Nevada. They do a lot for R and D. Uh, so the project I'm working with them right now is all R and D about how to use green tech and new technology okay. and human powered technology to make the world a better place. And those Perfect. things are not, you know, those things are never advertised. Uh, so, you know, they still have a massive social culture and they're mission driven and they do a lot of great things. But, you know, if you want to change the world on the business side, um, you got to stay in business, you know, because you can have the best ideas in the world if you actually, you know, are killing your business because you're trying to do too much at the same time. Uh, you will. And nothing is perfect. You know, you're getting that many people into a desert is probably never going to be perfect. And it was never intended to be that big. Um, you know, it's, uh, you see those images of people in lineups for three and a half hours in their cars, uh, on the way out of the desert at the end of the festival. And you're like, yeah, this is terrible. Like it would be like that. This is, you know, your, the emission you're getting out of those cars and everything else is just crazy bad. And that was a, not the image that Burning Man was supposed to be at the beginning, but yeah. you know, can you really not do that? You know, that's the, the, the question I'm asking, you know? Yeah, and sometimes when I think about Shambhala or Burning Man, uh, do you feel like the people running this 
are first and foremost businessmen that kind of are latching on to this, they would maybe call it a brand image of this subculture and this kind of free spirit culture. Or do you think first and foremost, they are part of that culture and they're figuring out how to use their business instinct to reach a broader public? Because to me, it kind of makes a difference. Like maybe it ends up being the same result, but I don't know, you know, like if I see some Shambhala, like the owner of Shambhala and he's some guy in a suit and a crew cut and everything, like I don't really want to support that as much as someone that's authentically part of that subculture movement. Yeah, I, I think it's a very complex question, Nolan. Like, to be honest with you, like, I, uh, the people I work with there are very authentic people, you know, and they, um, but then they also do a lot of business. And I like to see myself the same way, you know, I have a dress shirt right now and I'm going to be wearing a suit today in an event, you know. But then again, if you ask me, I would rather have a t shirt and my Converse, you know, that's what I am. But at the end of the day, I have to do, you know, I believe that people have different personalities and different things and we have more than one purpose in life. Uh, you know, uh, I, I think it's the same thing. You, we got to accept that those people actually need to make it work and there's a business behind it. And I'm, I'm more, I'm, I'm more judging them on what they do with the profit. You know, how's that profit redistributed? Is it just a bunch of big salaries and then it's a game over? Or they're actually taking that money back and doing a bunch of R&D projects? Are they doing it to do social health project? And my experience with the Burning Man Project Group is that they actually do. They actually take that money and make the world a better place. So is that the case with Africa Burn? Is that the case with everyone else? I, I honestly don't know. Uh, I, I don't know the Africa Burn's owner well. Um, so I, I cannot say that, but I, the people that work with at Burning Man, they're definitely, you know, well attended. They, they try to do the, the, a better, a better job, you know? Yeah. And another thing I was wondering about with Burning Man is, um, I know a lot of celebrities go there as well. Like Seth Rogen writes about it in his book. Yeah. Um, yearbook. Right. And when other people who aren't celebrities show up there, are they trying to go to those celebrities? Like, does that kind of ruin it? Like, is there a divide between it? Or is just everyone on acid and their egos are just dissipated? So no one no one really thinks about that kind of shit. Well, I mean, the, the year that I went, I was, uh, I hang out with a, a DJ, a Dutch DJ that was called Ike Klein, uh, that maybe some people know, some people don't know. He wasn't that famous at the time. And he's, he's a pretty, pretty big DJ now. And he was the most human, nice person in the world. You know, he was just chilling with us and, you know, dancing and, you know, hugging us and having fun. Uh, I think that there's there's something to be said about celebrities getting close to the people and show, show their normal side or, you know, they're always, they have to be on edge all the time. You know, crazy shit happens to them. You know, they always get bugged all the time. Like they can't have a moment in themselves. So, but then again, you know, if we're not letting them come to events like this, we're alienating them even more. We're putting them in the box even deeper. And, you know, we need to let them have that moment. So, yeah. you know, you're going to have good celebrities going to those events, but you're going to have the shit ones, you know? But what I'm wondering, do you see a lot of people bugging the celebrities or is it? Well, yeah, wonderful. Well, 100%, 100%. <laughs> I think maybe last that you would see in a restaurant, but yeah, 100%. Yeah, because I would kind of have this feeling that if you're at a rave, 
you might be less likely to care about someone's status, right? Because that's kind of what it's about. It's not about what your status is. Everyone there is one. <laughs> As a cliche or hippie that that sounds, like you do get that feeling at a rate, right? You're just... Um, you, you just don't have the... It's not what it used to be. I hate saying that because it makes everyone sound like... And I, my parents used to say that my music is better. It was better. And you listen to shit, and blah, blah, blah. You know, but it's... The, unfortunately, those events are not what they used to be. Like 100%. They're a lot more commercial. There's a lot more happening. You know, it's not what they used to be in terms of, like, you know, accessibility and everything. So there's there's people going to Burning Man that are very much going to Burning Man because it's really cool to say on social media that they've been to Burning Man and they're not really into that whole culture. And I saw people break down there because they're just not having fun because it's way too deep for them uh and then you got a bunch of people that go there like you know i i uh, have a friend that you know he's a professional slackliner and you know he's as a scream for this that anyone i ever met in my life he goes once every three months he goes in the middle of a desert somewhere to do a retreat for two three weeks off and, and he goes to this and and he's exactly the type of people that were targeted to go to that type of place at the beginning with so um, I think you've got a, a very big mix of people, but it's also like to what I was saying earlier, it's great that they actually get to spend time together because maybe they're going to find a middle ground here. And that's, that's what the, this, this is what traveling is all about. Yeah. Yeah. And when I think about some of these subcultures and kind of the rave culture as well, it, it kind of defies borders because when you travel the world and most of the raves I went to were when I was younger in British Columbia. Um, but I've seen the type of people that go to the raves all around the world. And they it's kind of homogenous, right? Like they have a lot of the same beliefs, a lot of the same values. Um, do you think that these type of, this type of rave culture, the subculture does defy borders? Or do you find like when you travel around and you go to these different festivals that there's always a little bit of a different cultural flair depending on where it is? There's a different flair. I, look, I, I grew up in Montreal, right? And it's, uh, Montreal is one of the best places in the world to, to do this, right? We, you know, I grew up, there was two, <laughs> two clubs, one in front of the other, one called Circus, the other one called Stereo. I think Circus is closed now, but Stereo is still open. And I think they just celebrated their 23rd anniversary, which, uh, to be honest with you, I was there last week. Uh, and and they, um, you know, they're, they're a club that opens at 2 in the morning. There's, they don't sell alcohol, and they're open sometime for 26 hours straight, you know. Uh, but they're very much a club. Uh, and what I love about that place is that, everyone is a different age you know you got all kind of people from all over the world and they're all having fun you know you you got a 65 years old guy that's dancing in front of a 22 years old girl you know and you know i'm not trying to make it sound crazy but you got a people from all over the place a bunch of backgrounds and yeah you got people that are very deep in the culture and you got people that are there just because they want to party there though and but you know if you take a holistic view on this yeah, there's a lot of bad shit happening in those clubs and there's a lot of illegal drugs and there's people that shouldn't take drugs that don't know enough about it and they're taking it for the first time and they're they're not going to be good. But then again, it, there's also a beauty of doing it for the first time in front of people that are very deep in it and that if there's something happening, they can help you or they're going to sort you out. 
You know, not everyone has a bad attention, right? There's some people that actually okay. Um, so I'm all for it. I think that places like this do exist. Uh, I, I, I just think that doing it, I personally, when I was younger, uh, and I was more in, in the culture, I liked doing it in smaller places. I thought that festivals were a little bit overrated. They were too big. There was too much going on at the same time. And it was less my thing. Um, uh, but then I'm old now. I can't do that. It's like when I do that, I, I feel bad for four days straight after. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing that ties into this, do you think culture plays a big role in how drugs affect you? Yes. I mean, black people was a real thing. Plus <laughs> it was a real, real, real thing. Um, you know, drugs makes me nostalgic really big. I want to, I, I believe I become a better person. Honestly, I, I listen more and I, I talk more, I open more to people and I am more interested in them. Um, so they're definitely better for me. Um, some people are not good with them. I'm, I'm actually pretty good decent with them. Uh, but I go through memory lane, you know, I'm uh, you get my cell phone out of my ends cause I'm going to call people I haven't called in 15 years and start chatting. Like it was, I, I was with them yesterday, you know? So yeah. it, it does bother my friends that I do that, but you know, it's, it's me. Right. So yeah, I think so. Yeah. Cause I've, I've noticed it here, like now living in Spain, um, how you said at, at a rave, sometimes it's really cool because you see people from all different age groups there. And I remember that's one of the things that really uh, drew me to that culture in British Columbia because you just realize like, oh my God, everyone's just getting along. You got you got some kids here, you got families, you got everyone. But here in Spain, that already exists um, with regular festivals, without drugs, right? Um, so I don't know if the rave culture would have the same effect here. I haven't really been to raves here and I don't really want to because from all the ones I've heard, they just end up being more of that grunge scene and like speed and techno. And that's, that's not really my thing. I'm more about the, the sauna, vibe, I guess. Yeah. Sonner, Sonner is, uh, is actually quite nice <laughs> in Spain. It's a really, really nice festival, but you know, Barcelona had a really, really good scene for a very long time of like a little bit more underground, you know, they used to, the terraza was transforming from a mall to a club in the middle of the night, you know, on weekends. And that was quite interesting. You know, this is, it's a very different sitting. You're on Mons week and you, <laughs> you, you were shopping for clothes all day and then you're in a club in the middle of the night with the clothes around you, you know, that, that was, that was quite unique. You got, you know, um, Rasmataz was, was a really, really decent place and well-renowned club that people all over the world used to go to. Obviously, this is not Ibiza. That's a lot more underground and that's more the scene. Obviously, if you go to Opium on, on, the, on the beach, yeah, you're getting the Ibiza vibe and that's, that's something you can see everywhere. You know, you got to get Tiesto playing, you know, but it's, um, I, I agree with you and more into the subculture than I am into mainstream. That's for sure. Uh, but yeah, you're right. In Europe, you see it a lot more. Like I'm from Ireland. I just spent the last three months of my life in Ireland where you go to any pub and you got people from all the world, all different age talking to each other. And that's beautiful. You never see that in Canada. You never, never, never see it in Canada. Definitely. No. Do you think it's going to change in Canada and it's going to spread a little bit now that the laws have become a little bit more lax when it comes to bringing, like nowadays you go to a brewery and people bring their kids into the brewery. It's still not common, but definitely more common than it was 15 years ago because 15 years ago it was non-existent. 
I I I think that culturally we're we're a little bit different, uh, and you know it's not a bad thing to be different. I think we can open up uh, a lot more. Uh, I think that people should talk to each other more in Canada. But then again, you know, it's one of the best countries in the world for a lot of things too. So you know, um, it makes it makes a trip to Ireland special to me. You know, so it's not a bad thing. Uh, not everything has to change. Uh, same thing. You go to Scandinavia, and there's a bunch of things happening in Scandinavia that you're just like, hey, wow. You know, we could we were talking about drugs. We could talk about Copenhagen, like, and have a massive conversation about. What's Christiana becoming nowadays? You know, it's not what he like it. I went and because I thought this was going to be my scene, and then I went there, and um, I don't know. I, I, it was dirtier than I thought. Um, I thought it was going to be a little bit more free spirited and everything, but I kind of got like a negative vibe there. Is is that just an anomaly? What do you... I think that you know. You probably would have went ten years ago. You would have felt a little bit more at home, and that's. I went five years ago. Yeah. I don't know when I went. Six years ago, five. Years yeah, ago. it's uh, it's not what it used to be. One hundred percent. You know, the the cops are cracking on the, the the dealers all the time, and it there's a there's a stress in Christiana, where it's what I felt. Yeah, you know, you feel anxious. You feel like you're looking over your. You know, it feels very illegal. It feels a little bit like Berlin, to be honest. Um, I love Berlin. I love Berlin. It's my favorite city I in the world. Never live there because I would die. But <laughs> I, I feel, I feel the same way. I would probably die if I live in Berlin. But uh, and I live in Berlin for a little bit, and I got the fuck out of it. And there's nothing, <laughs> there's, there's nothing worse than getting into the S band or the U band at eight in the morning, coming out from the clubs and seeing everyone in a suit going to work, and you're just like, I'm making bad choice in life, you know? Like, and that happened to me too many times. Like, you know, Berlin's great. I feel like Christiana, to an extent, was a part of the Berlin culture. Uh, you know, you could see resemblance. Uh, I think it's very stressful and over overhyped nowadays. But it's, it's still beautiful that something so anti everything else was was there for so long. You know, this to me, this is hysterical. You know, like Denmark was so far from this thirty years ago, like so far. Yeah. You know? So. You know, it's 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 pretty neat. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Nick, can we finish this uh, episode off with a story? Do you have any party story that you're willing to share? <laughs> <laughs> party stories. You can tell me some more after, but <laughs> party stories, sir. Uh, yeah. I mean, party stories. Uh, let me think. Of course, one that relates a little bit to culture and maybe one of your solo traveling experiences, or maybe not solo, just. Well, out of your travel yeah. Experience. Well, I mean, woke up in a different country once. Uh, okay, yes. Let's <laughs> let's get into that. <laughs> so, in, in the in the south of Cambodia, there's you know there's a few islands, Koron, Koron Samlo, and etc. And they're very close to Vietnamese islands. Um, and it's a really tricky border, you know. Like the islands are almost in Vietnam, and the international water does zigzags and everything like that. So, <laughs> without getting into too much details, because I got myself in trouble with other countries that I want to get in trouble with, uh, but, uh, you know, got into the wrong fishing boat, very drunk at five in after the morning, and <laughs> end up in Vietnam without going through the border. And then, you know, um, as a Canadian, because I traveled with my Canadian passport, 
Vietnam is actually tricky to go to. We need a visa to get to Vietnam, and you need to go through an airport, or you need to plan ahead and go through a border at a certain day and everything. So I was illegally in Vietnam, um, and that's not good. So I had to, it took me two days to find a fishing a fishing boat that wanted to bring me back to Cambodia. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, I have no idea how I got in that thing. I just I just got too friendly with the people. I just start chatting and chatting and chatting. And at one point, they probably thought I, I just wanted to go and win it. So they, because, <laughs> you know, the locals just crossed the border. Like, there's no tomorrow, right? They don't really care. Yeah. They know they won't get in trouble. So <laughs> that's amazing. I also remember when I was in Vietnam, I had to get my visa extended. Yeah. And I asked how to do this. And, um, we had to uh, bring our passports to this tailor <laughs> where they are making clothes. And you go to the back of the tailor store, you give the guy your passports, and then he takes your passports, drives them down to Saigon or Ho Chi Minh, and then comes back a couple of days later with your passport stamped. And I thought like, there's no way this is how you do it. Like this, this is it goes against everything you learn before traveling. Yeah. And then the more people ask, that's how you do it. And I did it and it worked. It was fast. It was reliable. It was cheap. And it was actually one of the easier visa extension experiences I've had. Oh, well, I mean, you know, we, when I was, when I was working in, in Cambodia at the beginning, we, every two months we had to, to get our visa renewed too. And, you know, you get, you got to leave the country to get back in to get a visa renewed on the normal like tourism visa. And we used to go to Kampot, take a taxi for 20 minutes, get to the Vietnamese border, give $10 to the, the Viet guy. He would take your passport, walk the border, stamp it, walk it back in, stamp it, give it back to you. I was going to say, $10 goes a long way in Vietnam. <laughs> you know, and you're not like, I'm not even allowed to go to Vietnam without a visa. They would still do it, you know? Um, the only problem is that they're taking a full bloody fucking page every time and you just, that's another issue and another story, but... You know, there's there's so many so many of them. I got stories and getting completely lost in Bangkok in the middle of the night, <laughs> trying to find my way back with you know no cell phone reception and in the small. I had to jump a canal once. That was that was a funny story. <laughs> I hurt myself so much. <laughs> oh man! Well, this is this is just how I ended the last episode, saying Nick, I hope you come back on the show because I know you have so many stories. Uh, Nick and I were actually talking. We will probably make this an ongoing thing. Uh, Nick will definitely be a recurring guest on the show. So for any listeners right now, remember you can reach out to Nick on LinkedIn or on Instagram. The uh, the links will be in the description. Also, please check out withoutborders.fyi because there you can also comment. You can become part of the community there. And uh, maybe you'll want to mention and ask Nick about some of the stories he just hinted towards today. And maybe you can tell us uh, what you want to hear for the next episode. Uh, Nick, anything else you want to say before we finish this up? No, I think travel. Travel is important, guys. And uh, stay away from bloody resort. Do something else. Or if you go, oh, yeah. actually venture out the resort for a day, you know, go yeah. to people, get yourself in trouble a little bit. Nothing kills people, you know, like, just try it. Exactly. All right, Nick, thanks for coming on the show again. And thank you for tuning in, everyone. Please uh, check out the next episode. See you next time. I right, just. <laughs>